You love to learn, grow, and improve yourself, but you're still not where you want to be? The right mastermind can be the ultimate secret weapon when it comes to personal development, but trying to find the one that's built for you isn't always easy. Welcome to The Mastermind Effect, the one and only show that focuses on helping you cut through the noise, invest in yourself, and move past your natural limits. This is everything you need to know about masterminds, brought to you by your host, Brandon Straza. Everybody, welcome back to the show, where you know I believe the only way to unlock your potential is to tap into the experience of others. And today, it is it is my honor to, to introduce a, a new friend of mine who I was able to meet through a speakeasy. So if anyone knows anything about speakeasies and Steve Sims, that's where the individual and I met. He He's an amazing human being. And what he has accomplished at the early ages around seven and eight, when he realized what he wanted to become, who he wanted to become, and then release that to the world to eventually becoming a Super Bowl champion. But here's the cool thing. Your, his Super Bowl championship is no different than what you consider your Super Bowl championship run. It is my honor to introduce my friend, Chucky Akobe, or if we want to pronounce it correctly, because I'm going to say it because I, I, it took me three times of asking him, Chucky. Is that correct? They're both correct. Yeah. You know, I'm just my mother's son, man. You know, I, you speak so highly of me. If I wasn't so dark skinned, you'd probably see me turning bright red right now. But, you know, I, I don't I don't I'll tell you, like I used to tell coaches in the NFL where, you know, job security is not the greatest. I said, coach, I don't care what you call me as long as you call me. Yeah. Just call my number. If my just number gets on. Don't you don't have to call me. Call my number. And I know I'm supposed to go. There you go. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, let's uh, let's dive into this because I want the listeners always to, you know, say, hey, man, this this is this is for me. This is this is my guy or my gal, whomever it is that I'm speaking to. If I were to sit there and say, Chucky, in a, in a short, you know, few sentences, what is your superpower? My superpower is openness and awareness, whatever words you want to use. But having a very, very open mind, it's kind of like, you know, Steve Sims says his superpower is ignorance which I can actually relate to in a lot of ways, because one thing that, you know, a mentor told me a long time ago, if you think, you know, everything can't learn anything. Yeah. So, you know, with Steve, you know, saying, Oh, I'm ignorant. You know how Steve is. It's like, I'm going to pretend or at least exist as if I don't know anything. Therefore I'm always learning. Yeah. We always want to learn from the day that our feet hit the ground to the day that we're six feet under Chucky. And I use the term six feet under sometimes because it's a good day when it's we're six feet above. Let's rewind a little bit as your, your career really started around the age of seven or eight and mm-hmm. who you, who you are today and who you will continue to become. And I think it's really important. Sometimes we sit there and say, we we always see is we don't see the road of skeletons that were paved Mm -hmm. in order to be the man, the individual you are today. Take us back seven, eight years old. And you're like, this is where I'm going to go. And these are the tools and how I'm going to get there. Tell us the story. You know, it's really funny because as an integrative psychology professional now, most people are not aware of, you know, how emotions play the roles in terms of what direction we end up going, the choices we end up making. So I'll go back to about age seven. I'm originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And, you know, I was born into, you know, my parents are from Africa. They're from Nigeria. So I'm first generation American. I was born uh, into the second largest Jewish community in America, which is Squirrel Hill in Pittsburgh. And I'm any Jewish people, I know you probably know where I'm talking about, but 
the, the, the significance of that is that at a very young age, I was growing up and I never saw anybody like me. Like I was always different. I was always different from everyone else. And you can imagine for a child that can create levels of insecurity. I didn't even know what insecurity was at that point, but I recognized the feeling that something was off and that I was different. And my parents, my parents were always fighting in the house, like constantly. And it was just uh, an atmosphere I didn't want to be in. I almost felt like because they were constantly butting heads, I wasn't getting any attention. So I was that kid that dropped the school clothes. Boom, I'm right back outside to play. And so even when I even when I was around other black kids, I was different because I'm African. They, I didn't really relate to the way they were being brought up and the way they lived. So outside to play, the one place where I felt good about myself was playing sports because all of a sudden, you know, where I didn't feel as a value member at home, I felt like a value member when we were playing sports because I was good. I was a guy that was being relied upon. I felt good about my capabilities. And, you know, that's where I really began to build self-confidence and self-worth. And so at age seven, I made the decision. I like the way I feel when I'm doing this. So if I can just play sports the rest of my life, then I can always love myself and feel good about myself. And so a lot of times people see football, you know, the pomp and circumstance, the bright lights on television, and everyone thinks they know what we're like, football players. But this was a very emotional, spiritual journey for me that I knew as long as I could continue to have this feeling of self-worth, self-love, usefulness to the world that. I will always feel good about myself and I'll always love life. And so at that point, at age seven, I decided I was going to play sports. My parents split up and we moved around a lot. I went to six schools before high school. So this whole theme of not necessarily fitting in became a theme in my life. But sports was always there for me. And I was always able to pick myself up, build myself up to a place of feeling really good about life, feeling confident, feeling optimistic, knowing that, you know, as a kid, the pros are always out there. So I always kept my eyes on the prize, focused on where I was going. And, you know, there's a lot more to the story. But generally speaking, it's about understanding that when I didn't feel well, I didn't feel valued in my home. I didn't feel like I fit into the communities I was living in. I felt, you know, negative emotions around that, you know. So we'll just summarize negative emotions and call it pain. And that pain forced me to move, forced me out of the house. It forced me to focus on the future because right now this is not how I want to feel about life. And that pain was a good motivator as a starter. However, pain as a, as a motivator doesn't last. Because think about it like this. If my pain, if I'm looking to lose weight, and so I, because I don't want to be fat, I don't want. So that's a pain motivator. That, that idea of me getting fat is a pain motivator. So it gets me into the gym. I'm lifting them on a treadmill, on a bike. The problem with the pain as a motivator is the minute you tighten your belt buckle, one buckle, where's your motivation? Because you're not fat anymore. And that's how we end up in that cycle of self-sabotage and whatnot. Yo-yo dieting. Exactly. Exactly. Because the pain, you think that pain is going to keep you motivated. It can't. It's a great starter. It's like, you know, throwing newspaper in a campfire. It didn't get things started, but you ain't going to keep that fire burning all night long. Yeah, no it's, it's not going to keep going. And an interesting thing, if you if we think about it, anyone listening out there, yo-yo dieting, don't just hold it from, from the domain that Chucky and I are talking about in, hey, losing weight. Yo-yo dieting goes across all domains, how you market, how you communicate, how you continue to either A, put out content, how you actually talk with the people around you. You know, mm-hmm. we, we, we go, we go, we go. But the problem is, is we don't stair step. We just go on this vertical leap. And we cannot, as people, if we, if we associate pain with getting something, once that pain is gone, 
We're back to yo-yo dieting in all different domains of our lives. We'll get into that a little bit later because Chucky has a um, an amazing way of explaining your emotions down a hallway, and uh, it's something that we'll get into. Let me let me ask you this: as as you and I, you know, as we get a little bit older, our ways that you and I have learned, you know, when we were younger were textbooks, teachers, the world around us, the sports, you know, the sports playing field, coaches. I mean, you've been, you've had coaches around you since, since you were in peewee league or, you know, whatever league they, they started back in Pittsburgh. So how has your learning changed from your early years versus today? You know, the biggest thing about learning in general, that most people don't recognize, or maybe they're just not aware of is first and foremost, don't think that all wisdom is found at school. You can learn everywhere and anywhere in, in, any, in any given way. And the thing about coaches is, you know, a lot of people wonder why, you know, you play in the NFL eight years, you know, you ever think about getting into coaching or broadcasting, you know, doing what you loved in football. Well, I am. It's just that it's different, certain aspects of football that maybe most people don't know or certain aspects of reaching that Super Bowl level your potential as a professional that people don't know about. And that's really what I'm teaching people with basic instructions. Think about coaches is, you know, my dad, you know, once we moved away, my dad wasn't around very much. So again, sports comes, you know, sports come to the rescue and I would do what I call fine father figures, people, men who I believe could show me how to become successful, how to be the best that I can be. And so I would find different coaches in baseball. Baseball was my first love. You know, in, in football, especially, definitely my offensive line coach at Purdue, Danny Hope, and our head coach, Joe Tiller. And they really showed me how easy it is to be great, to be great at, at what you love, to be, to really push yourself to the limit. And for that pushing, matter of fact, pushing is not even the right word for, you know, committing to work until you reach your limit is not a difficult process. And so, you know, the biggest thing, one thing that uh, Coach Hope, you know, my freshman year at Purdue, I met him because he came after my after I redshirted. And I used to go to his office an hour early every single day before practice just to talk about life. This was because this was my father-son time where I would learn a lot of things. We talk about life. We talk about girls. We talk about everything. But, you know, football coaches, all they do is recruit. So he was always talking about recruiting. And he was telling me about how, you know, as a coach, that when he's recruiting, He's really only looking at two at, at two aspects of people. Look at one aspect, it's dichotomy. And he said, you know, as a coach, just give me the players. I'll find a way to win the game. They don't have to be the most talented offensive line, but I will find a way to get this done. But when I'm recruiting, I can only look for two types of people. You have mules and then you have thoroughbreds. Now, give me a, a bunch of mules. I will get the job done. The thing is, if I'm coaching mules, I know for me, it's going to be a lot more work. I'm going to have to use pain as a motivator. I'm going to have to use the stick and beat this mule to get the job done. But we'll get it done. The problem is this has more work for me. You know what I want to coach? I want to coach thoroughbreds. Because if, if I'm coaching a thoroughbred, and everyone thinks they're a thoroughbred, but you always got to ask yourself, am I really? So what's a thoroughbred? He said, if I'm coaching a thoroughbred, I don't need the stick. Heck, I don't even need the carrot. All I need to do is give him the basic instructions of what he has to do to get what he wants, open that gate, and watch him run. And that always led me to think about myself because I was what, 18 at this time. I'm like, what well, am I a mule or a thoroughbred? And it's like that question's been circling around in my mind ever since that day he told me that story. And so when you think about your business now, when you think about your family, when you think about your health and fitness, you think about your relationship with God. Are you a mule or a thoroughbred? Wow. Wow. That is, let me ask you this because this goes to um, 
what um, my corner man, Dr. Jeff Spencer, and I talk about human mindset versus champion's mindset. And you mentioned that you go back to that question frequently. Do you mm-hmm. ever sit there and d- does the human mindset in you ever sit there and be like, man, you're, 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 you're playing at the mule level when you know that you're a champion. And all it is, is a shift in your mind and sit there and say, nope, you know what? That human mindset's always going to be there. It's going to sit mm-hmm. there and just whisper things into my ear to cause me doubt. But the reality is my champion's mindset is stronger and I am a thoroughbred. Does that ever sit there? And because you'd mentioned you've been, you quite you ever since you were 18, that was a question that went around. It's, it's a question. It's to me, it's kind of self-regulating and maintaining the integrity within myself. So if you decided at age seven that you want to be a professional football player, well, back then it was baseball at first, but I, I didn't make it. I had this football thing to fall back on. So I'm okay. So, you know, the thing is, if you say you want to be that, you want to be a champion, you want to be the best, you want to be a millionaire, a billionaire, a trillionaire, whatever. In this moment right now, when there's something you know you're supposed to do, a responsibility or or take action that will bring you closer to your ultimate goal. When you're sitting there thinking about it, when you're procrastinating, you're a mule. Yeah. You're a mule. Like to me, you have, you're in total control of the energy that is you, the act, the behaviors you take, the thoughts you think, the communication you put out there, the way you interpret communication when it comes in. The bottom line is, if you understand the basic instructions, which we'll get into in a moment, when it's time, it, it goes back to coaches again. It goes back to coaches again. So I think about Joe Tiller, you know, and when I was at Purdue and he came in in 1997, after 96, after like 12 consecutive losing seasons for Purdue football. And he comes in, you know, to with this new attitude to revive this program. And the day one, the first meeting, he's telling us how we're going to be champions and all this great stuff. And it all sounds good. We're really excited. We're eager. This is obviously what we all want deep down. But thinking about the last season, the last couple seasons, the history of Purdue football, the way people see Purdue football, you know, we're wondering, hmm, how are we going to overcome the past to get to become what he's talking about? And so you think he would have a lot of different rules, all this discipline. He's going to, you know, these guys have been losing. We're going to treat them like mules. But the funny thing is we only had one rule on our team and that was it. And when I say one rule, I mean, as far as academics, as far as football, as far as personal kind of one rule. And if you follow this rule, you have everything you want. And that's what he told us day one. And that rule is what he calls the do right rule. Just do what you're supposed to do the way you're supposed to do it. When it's supposed to be done, just do it that way every time. If you do less than that, you're a mule. Love it. You love it. You're a person of your word because you have your brothers or sisters in arms in whatever you know area that you're in that you're locked there. I'm going to do it when you want it, when you want it, when it matters most to you, because that's my, that's my oath. That's my creed. That's what I'm going to do on the field, off the field, at the, at the lunch line, wherever it is, wherever, because when I live by that, I never have to question what's next. I know. Mm -hmm. And And I never have to question if I'm a mule or a thoroughbred either. Right. You know, let's, let's kind of go down that mule thoroughbred, the emotional doorway um, you know, I sit, you, you, you sit there and, and I, I want to hear how you word it, but I sit there and say, you know, champions mindset, you know, human mindset. And, and, and when, when, why I was able to gravitate so quickly to you is I see that, that doorway that you talk about, you know, you got the champion stuff over here, you got the human mindset over here and who, and really the human mindset is what's pulling you. Yeah. And, and, well- and, 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 and so that's how I've been able to gravitate and correlate to our, you know, this, the conversations, cause we've had a few before this. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And, and I want to, I want to sit there and have you frame for the listeners, 
like who's really running the show out there. And when they mm-hmm. work with, when they work with Chucky, mm-hmm. who's really running the show and how do you walk them through it? Mm-hmm. The funny thing is, it, again, it goes back to another coach. It all starts with coaches, you know, and it goes back to the year we won the Super Bowl back in 2005. Now, going into that season, we were 15 and one the year before, which was Ben Roethlisberger's first year. I know Ben's been in the league now. People can't. When was he a rookie? It was like, I mean, we played against the Flintstones. So, you know, Ben was a rookie. He was rookie of the year. We had our defense come back. Everyone thought we were going to win the Super Bowl. But halfway through that season, we had lost three games in a row. And if we lost one more, we were out of the playoffs. So all of a sudden we're feeling anxious. We're feeling, you know, some people are feeling fear. Some people are feeling doubt, confusion. And coach, Coach Cower, who, you know, just went to the Hall of Fame a couple of weeks ago. He gets had a feeling. He knows his team. He has a, 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 a pulse on what's going on mentally and emotionally with the group. And he walked into the car, to the meeting the day after we lost that third game. And I'll never forget what he said because it's literally the basis of everything I do in basic instructions. And he said, guys, you don't know what you don't know. And whether you realize it or not, it's what you don't know that you don't know is actually running the show right now. And so since you don't know what you don't know, how do you know what you think you do know is right? Don't answer me. Just relax and contemplate this for a moment. You don't know what you don't know. And obviously, that's a statement that I couldn't argue with in that moment. Not really sure what he meant right now, but it made me open up and listen. Because whatever he's about to tell me is probably something that I don't know. I don't know a piece of information that will make whatever this current obstacle is that seems insurmountable. It might make getting what I want simple. But as long as I think I know, I can't learn. Now, when we talk about what we don't know, what we don't know, think about like you ever heard this the, the saying that we as human beings only use 10 percent of our minds. You ever heard that before? We've talked about this. You and I have. Yeah, it's, it's that's that's the big it's a, it's not true. It's absolutely false. It's not true. There's a reason why people think that. But it's really about the way humans think. Humans got two different types of thinking. That's really what separates us from the rest of life on this planet. You've got a conscious mind. And you've got your unconscious mind. Now, it's about how these two types of thinking interact to create our human experience. Now, the conscious mind, imagine the conscious mind as like a four-year-old version of you, little little kid, right? Old enough to speak and communicate and to understand things and make judgments and, and decisions, but still a very small and simple, simplistic, innocent kid, right? That's your conscious mind. Now, imagine your unconscious is like your pet. It's your dog, right? So you got a four-year-old kid and his dog. But here's the thing. This dog is about 170-pound Great Dane, and you're four. So understand, your conscious mind is about 10%. So that's where that saying comes from. What you're conscious of is 10%. Now, I'm going to simplify these two ways of thinking just to make it easy to digest. The conscious mind is in charge of everything outside of you. That's it. Is all it does is essentially make judgments as to what we believe is happening outside of us. Because our world, the only way we as human beings have to make sense of the world outside of our minds and bodies is through the five senses. That's it. What you see, what you hear, what you feel, and what you smell and taste. Now, these are just operations of the human nervous system. It's the way your physical body operates. Right. So what we do is we collect all the sensory data and we bring it up here to the to the hard drive, to the brain. And that's where we make interpretations. Those interpretations of what is happening out there are made by the conscious mind. 
So your conscious mind is your everyday thinking. It's the part of our minds we're engaging right now as you're listening. When you talk to yourself, you can speak back. That's a conscious mind function. Now, the unconscious mind is much bigger and stronger, 175 pounds versus a four to four-year-old. Much bigger and stronger. But this dog, man, dog is man's best friend, right? So this dog loves you. It would never hurt you in a trillion years. No way. It's, it's a big, strong dog, but it's like Scooby-Doo or Marmaduke, right? This dog loves you. Do anything you say. It's much bigger and stronger because it has many more jobs. So think about... What's keeping my breathing just steady right now? You know, my eyes blinking, my heart beating, all things we can agree we're doing, but we're not conscious of. You follow me? This is the job of the dog. That's why it's so much bigger and stronger because it's got a lot of jobs. Now, I I can get really deep in this because I am a nerd when it comes to integrative psychology and performance. I can get really deep. I mean, I don't want to get too deep into it because we got other things to discuss. But without getting too deep, your unconscious mind is in charge of everything you're not conscious of. One way to look at it is the conscious mind is in charge of the thinking. One plus one equals two. That's the little kid can do that, not the dog. The unconscious mind, the dog is in charge of feelings and instincts, natural or natural animalistic tendencies. And the most significant of these unconscious functions is emotions. Your emotions, think of it as that dog. Now, I have two dogs. One of my dogs, you know, was almost 10. Had him since he was eight months. He's been communicating with me since day one, but he's never spoken a word. So the question is, when you think about your unconscious mind, and you think about your emotions, am I understanding the communication I'm getting from myself? And that's a big thing because, again, when my dog's upset, I know it, but even though he doesn't tell me, or when, when you're feeling something's off, do you understand what the communication you're getting from inside actually means? Because if you don't, you're going you're gonna to make choices that may not be in your best interest to get your ultimate result. One thing about emotions is that people don't understand what negative emotions are about. First of all, there's only five of them. That's it. Anger, sadness, fear, hurt, guilt. And any other words you come up with is going to fall under one of those categories. And so here's the thing. When we feel negative emotions, it doesn't feel good, does it? No. When you feel anger, it's not good. You feel sadness, it's not good. So people think it's something to avoid. You're missing, you're, you're missing the point of that communication from yourself. Think about this. My dog, he barks at everything. Dog walks by, he barks. Person walks by, he barks. No reason at all. He's barking. So you understand, you can see yourself constantly telling the dog, shut up, stop, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. What if there's a burglar crawling in the window and he's looking to warn you, but you're telling him to shut up? That's what you're doing when you're stuffing your emotions down. That's a, a, a signal from yourself. Your best friend is trying to, to make you aware of something important. Dog is man's best friend and he wants you to get the learning from whatever's happening. The more you stuff those emotions down, the worse your life is going to get. And then when I say, and it won't stop getting worse until you stop and deal with it. It won't until you stop stuffing it down, until you learn to let it go. Because people don't understand negative emotions. Negative emotions were given to us by nature to keep us alive. They're actually good. There's no such thing as good or bad emotions. There's no such thing. So, you know, to me, if, I, if I'm in the woods back before civilization, I see a tiger, fear is going to kick in. That's a negative emotion. But without that fear, I won't recognize the threat. And so now I can fight or flight. I can run or I can, I'm not going to fight a tiger, but so I'm going to run. But if I don't have that fear, I'm dead. So here's the thing. We live in an infinitely safer world now, but fear still acts the same. So now because there's no imminent threat to my existence, like a tiger, we're so used to looking outside at the TV, at the internet, at the, the lights on a Vegas strip, that we need somewhere to project this fear. We need something to be afraid of. So now instead of a tiger, I'm afraid of what you think of me. And that's how most people think. There's, is there really anything to be afraid of here? Now, the dog 
stores our emotions. Imagine in your unconscious mind, there's a long hallway that the dog is in charge of. Dog's in charge. So down this hallway, we've got all these different rooms on either side. Over here to my left, I've got a door that's labeled happy. The next door down is labeled grateful. The next door down is labeled love. So anytime I feel this emotion that we can all agree we call happy, from the first time I felt it as a baby, whew, to that first sip of coffee this morning, what the dog says, what your unconscious mind says, these feel the same. And we take the happy memories and they're stored in that happy room in the unconscious. Remember, it doesn't matter if you remember it consciously, the dog remembers all. So every time I feel grateful, the grateful memories go in the grateful room. Every time I feel love, it goes in the love room. Here's the thing about emotions, like we already talked about. There's no such thing as good and bad, only positive and negative, like a battery. So bad into the battery. So over here on my right, I've got a door and it says angry. Next to that, I got a door and it says fear. Next to that, I got a door and it says guilt. So every time I feel this emotion that we call angry, we can all agree. From the first time somebody took my toy away to when that jerk cut me off on the highway this morning, the dog says, mm, they feel the same. And the anger goes in the anger room, fear in the fear room, guilt in the guilt room. Here's the significance of these rooms. Whichever room has the most stuff in it creates an emotional filter through which you experience your life. And now what, how, how, what do you mean an emotional filter? Okay. It's like I'm looking at this window to the right of me. I know some people probably can't see, but I'm going to do my best to paint a picture here. So if I'm looking at this window, I see a tree out there. So I'm looking at the tree. I see the blue sky. I see the trunk. I see the green grass. You know what I don't see? The glass. I think I'm seeing the, the tree clearly, but I'm seeing it through the filter of this glass. That's how these emotional filters work. So I want my happy room to be stuffed. It should be overstuffed. It should be like Michael Phelps's trophy room. I should be calling contractors to bust out the walls because do you understand how much happiness I have coming up in my future? I need more space over here. These positive emotions, you can't have too much stuff in those rooms. But what happens when your fear room or your anger room or your guilt room looks like one of those A&E hoarder shows with a 600 pound woman in the back? God forbid there's a fire because a lot of people are walking around in their lives because they've been stuffing this fear down or stuffing this anger down. This is the filter they're living their life through. And it's just going to get worse until you deal with it. And again, well, I could already hear people say, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but always remember, you don't know what you don't know. Consider that you may be learning something new right now. And that's the big thing is most people don't recognize that you, he didn't piss you off. You're angry, and that's why you're interpreting whatever he did this way. Remember, your emotions are inside, not out there. The emotions are inside. So whatever I'm feeling, it, it's me. If I'm angry, I'm the problem. And that's and that's what and that's the best thing you've heard today. Because if I'm the problem, then I can do something about this feeling. But as long as he's pissing me off, he's controlling me. And that's emotions. Most people don't understand. Understanding emotions is the difference in everything. You got to understand them so that you know what to do when that dog is barking. You understand the domain, you understand the emotion, you understand that yeah. you control what the outcome can be exactly. based off of not letting the dog go chase something that they shouldn't be chasing. Remember what Coach Coward said. It's what you don't know, you don't know. You're unconscious that's running the show right now. That's verbatim what he said. That's the basis of what I do with basic instructions is help you to identify these things and get rid of them. Yeah. Because once you remove that, how much easier it is, is it to move towards your specific desired Super Bowl level result? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there was a lot to digest. If, if I was listening right now, I'm just quick piece of advice. Rewind and listen 
to what was just said again, because when you start dissecting it, there was just so many nuggets of, of just information that when you look at it and you dissect it, you're like, holy crap, this is what I've been doing. And mm-hmm. I have, I control what the outcome can be. Let's, let's talk about success because success really started at a, a really young age for you. Other people might've looked at him and like, he had all these challenges, he had all these things, but you started talking to your sick about yourself at a young age about what success was to you, whether it was in the community, whether it was in, in, in the house on the playground or in sports. Some mm-hmm. people, when they look at success and you know, what it takes to be successful, they look at mentorship, willingness to fail, experimentation, mm-hmm. partnerships, willingness to define success, which is what I believe you started doing at a much younger age. Absolutely. What what do you feel it takes to be successful? And how did you start building that foundation at such a young age? Well, the biggest thing is is the, the it started with the pain, the discomfort. I felt this conflict internally when I was at home. Like, this just doesn't feel right. I was a kid. I couldn't explain it. I just didn't like it. That's that pain, that negative motoring. That's what sent me out of the house. But then I found sports. And so all of a sudden, sports became a pleasure. And so remember, mules and thoroughbreds. Mules is the pain motivator all the time. But once I found sports, I had a pleasure motivator. It's something that compelled me, something that that attracted me like a magnet. Like I have to have that, you know, and most people don't think about their goals that way. Most of the time we're comparing to the rest of the world. So if someone, you know, especially coaches are always advertising seven figure this, uh, paid in full, piffy, stiffy, all this, all this our algorithm stuff, shiny things are waving something shiny so they can take your money. And it's like, listen, those things are awesome. Not going to lie. But why do I want it? And once I get it, what am I going to do with it? Because it really all comes down to the name of the game here is happiness. And I found something that I knew someday if I could be just like my favorite athletes on television, if I could be just like Barry Bonds, if I could be just like Dermani Dawson, if I could be just like Ronnie Lott, if I could be that, just the thought of that in my future is what continued to keep me going, continue to keep me going. And be, but because it was a great distraction from this pain at home. So all of a sudden the pain got me out, but if I want to keep going, I need something out there to go towards. I need a specific desired result. And I decided my specific desire result at a very early age. So then from there, it was a matter of determining what are the specific actions I need to take to become what I want to become. And that's really, you know, in reflection, that's where I pinpointed the actual basic instructions, which we'll get into in a minute. But the big thing is think about what you want, and not what you don't want. And that's really, I just already explained it just a moment ago, but think about what you want. I want to be a pro, not what you don't want, the BS at home. To me, if I'm constantly thinking about this, I'm constantly feeling that negative emotion. But if I'm constantly thinking about being going home to Pittsburgh, constantly thinking about being drafted, constantly thinking about being a champion, well, then I feel like a champion at age eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. And my dog, the unconscious, is learning to behave like a champion. But if I don't put that in their dog's face, that picture of being a champion, then how does he know that that's what I want? Because most of the time, people are thinking about what they don't want. So think of any idea you bring up to your mind. It bring it to your mind, consciously, anything you think about, like, hmm, I want some ice cream. To me, it's the equivalent of taking a picture and showing it to the dog. You're showing them this picture of what you want. I want this ice cream. Oh, turn the light on back. Says, I want this ice cream, right? I want this ice cream. So the dog is man's best friend. Whatever the dog believes you want, 
He's going to do everything he can to get it for you. It's going to bring it into your awareness. But he's a dog. He doesn't understand words like don't. So when you think about what you don't want, that's the picture you're putting in his face. And because he's just a simple-minded dog, he thinks it's what you want, especially if you think about it all the time. Then he's like, this must be what she wants. She really wants this because she's always talking about it. She's always thinking about it. So this must be what she wants. So think about it like this. I say, my dog loves to play fetch, loves fetch, right? So I take that picture of what I don't want and I put it in the dog's face and I say, hey, I don't want this. And I throw it. What's the dog going to do? He's going to go get it and bring it back. And I said, no, silly dog. I don't want this. And he throw it. And you wonder why the same problems keep coming back into your life. It's because of you and you're not taking control and thinking about what you want and not what you don't want. You're confusing the dog and you're the reason why you're unhappy. You're the reason why you don't have your results because you don't have control of your hard drive, your mind. And if you learn to think about what you do want, you're going to see, you're going to be aware of more of that in your life. You're going to be aware of more opportunities to bring that into your life. And you're going to be aware when exactly what you've been dreaming of shows up in your face. Like say, I don't know, getting drafted by your hometown team to play professional. How does somebody do that? I'm I'm telling you now, the same thing that Andrew Carnegie, Andrew Carnegie, the richest man that ever lived, the father of the steel industry, he pinpointed the number one requisite to have the kind of business success that he had, emotional discipline. Think about what you want. Yes, yes, yeah. And and so I'm gonna I'm gonna tie into this one for anyone listening out there right now. I can tell you what Chucky just said has been one of the biggest changes for me over the last several years. I used to sit there and say, Oh, I wear my emotions on my sleeve, and I was super proud of that. But the problem was is I brought those emotions happy or sad to every conversation that was happening. And so I was making emotional decisions as opposed to strategic decisions to get that win-win-win. Now, did I still have success from building companies financially, happiness factor? Yeah, those were in there. But let me tell you, all those things spiked when I stopped allowing the emotions to run the show and sat there and started you know, handling my own stuff. Exactly, bro. Exactly. I mean, the biggest thing is going back to the kid and the dog. Yeah. And, and if, just think about any kid you've ever seen walking the dog, or maybe you were a kid walking your dog. Who's holding the leash? Because that's who's in charge. So when, when people say, oh, you know, I don't know, I, I have anxiety. I don't know. Like, you don't have anxiety. You're telling the dog to bring up every feeling associated with fear. And it's you. And if you simply stop focusing on what you don't want, you'll feel things differently. You'll feel things differently. So again, it goes back to that kid and the dog. If you consciously have the leash, when the emotion comes up, just like when my dog is barking at something in the window, I have control to say, shh, I'm thinking. And the thing is going back to that tiger in the woods. When I see that tiger and that fear kicks in, this is science. This is straight science. When the emotion, fear is heightened, my mental, logical, analytical faculties shut off because I don't have time to think about it. I got to get away from this tiger and fear acts the same. So anytime you're feeling afraid, you cannot trust your internal voice. Your logic is not working. I promise whatever you do, this is going to end bad. I promise you it will. Maybe not today, but do it enough times and it will end bad, whether it's a positive or a negative emotion too. But typically, if I'm angry, you're, whatever you're saying, I'm not hearing it. If you're afraid, you cannot trust yourself because that fear is a filter through which you're seeing the situation through. And if it's marred by fear, whatever action I take is going to produce more fear. 
action reaction. And so many times we're so reactionary to what's happening around us. Mm-hmm. And then that emotion runs us to the next, to the next, to the next. And that's why you need a Chucky in your corner. That's why you need, you know, someone that has at, at, at ages, most of us can't even comprehend for how we started building our future and our success. That's a Chucky. All right. As, as we, as we get closer to the end here, I got a few, few more questions that I'd love to, you know, find right. out, you know, I think in times of prosperity, the wins, they're just a little bit easier, but I think ingenuity and creativity come when we feel the squeeze. At some point, I'm hoping not to say this, but I feel the world is still feeling the squeeze out there on mm. all different playing fields. Mm. What are you working on right now that's going to take place over the next 12 months that excites you? The big thing is, you know, starting to get back out there in, in front of groups and train, doing trainings and, and teaching and speaking because I'm a speaker by trade and really helping people to understand what the four basic instructions are. Now, everything we've said so far today really leads into this. And so I'll go over the four basic instructions, which is exactly how I achieved my Super Bowl level of success. And I'll tell you how it works in different contexts. So basic instruction number one is let go of the past. And this is where emotional discipline really comes in, because a lot of times we're thinking about things from the past and comparing it to the moment thinking about how we thought things were going to go, seeing that things didn't go exactly as we planned, but we're still focused on this isn't right. This isn't fair. It should be like, no, let it go. Deal with what's happening right now. Let go of all of that stuff. Anything you're afraid of, any anything that happened, you know, with the work I've done, we talk about letting go of the past. It's a simple concept, but this I've helped people who've been sexually assaulted, who couldn't let go of the past, who were in you know, military situations, PTSD, where they couldn't let go of the past, but it's not that they couldn't do it. They didn't have the basic instructions of how. So to me, that's the first thing is we we cannot have any negative emotions creating a filter or weighing us down as we're looking to move forward. So that's the first thing is letting go of is, is getting to a place where you're not emotional, just like you said. That's number, you literally do not do anything until you're there. Do not do anything. So basic instruction number one is let go of the past. And that's actually the specialty of what I help people do is to learn emotional discipline. That's number one. Number two, now that you're clear, now that you're not afraid, now that you're not feeling angry, now is basic instruction number two. Now you decide exactly what you want. That way there's no filter and you can really just let your mind go crazy like a kid playing make-believe to think about what would truly fulfill you and satisfy you. Think about that end result and what exactly you want now that there's nothing holding you back. So that's basic instruction number two. Basic instruction number three is now that I'm feeling light and confident, I know what I want. Now, all we have to do is take the necessary actions to make that desired result come true, whatever that might be. Well, I want to get in better shape. We need to work out. You need to eat better. Actions. That's all. See, but what you, if you don't know what you want, how do you know what to do? You see, what this is like a recipe. You got to do them in order. If I don't know what I want, how do I know what to do? My favorite quote of all time by Don Harold, he was a cartoonist, early 20th century, wrote newspapers, and he said, Unhappiness is not knowing what you want and killing yourself to get it. So we got to make sure we're not just spinning our wheels, taking actions just to say, I'm busy. How many entrepreneurs do we know? I'm busy. I'm busy. Oh my God, I'm busy. busy." Shut up. You don't even know what you want. Okay. So all that busy is not a badge of honor. It's not. 
Do you know what you want? Are you making deliberate moves? It's like uh, Gary Vee says, you know, it doesn't matter how many hours you work, it's what you do in those hours. And that's it. So that's the first three. Let go of the past, decide your specific desired result, take the necessary actions to realize that specific desired result. All that's left is basic instruction number four, focus until. And I imagine a lot of people are saying, focus until what? Focus until you're experiencing that specific desired result. Now, depending on what you want, it might take five weeks, it might take five years, it might take five generations. You could, you could dream as big as you could possibly dream. The question is, can you focus until? I decided back when I was just barely seven years old where I was going, and I had to focus until I was 22 when I got picked. The question is, can you focus until? So that's the recipes. When you think about how I was able to make my specific desired result come true, my Super Bowl level result, those are the four basic instructions. Let go of the past, decide what you want, take the action, and focus until you get it. And the thing is, you know, for an athlete, the ultimate desired result would be to win the Super Bowl. And so people might wonder, what would that feel like for me to win the Super Bowl? What you may not be aware of is it's a feeling you're already very intimately familiar with. I mean, we all have memories. Just think back. Think back to those times in your life, regardless if you've never played sports. It doesn't matter. Just think back to the moments in life that gave you that feeling of excitement in your stomach, those butterflies. You know, it, uh, the experiences that made your pulse race, it made your breath shallow, and you hear your heart beating like a jackhammer in your ear. See those things now. See those moments the smells, the taste, the aromas, everything that felt so, it felt so right. It almost feels wrong, but you love it. It's the kind of memory that you think about all the time. It spins around and around and around and you obsess and obsess. And if you can just imagine that feeling, hold it right there. That's what it feels like to win the Super Bowl. And so the question you're asking yourself right now is you're experiencing this feeling is, hmm, why doesn't my marriage feel like this? Why doesn't, why don't my relationship with my teenage kids feel like this? Why doesn't my career feel like this? And the thing is, if you could imagine it, it's already in there. So it's a matter of you getting that dog and that little kid on the same page so that you can determine what you, you deeply desire, basic instruction number two, so you can lead, communicate correctly with the dog and move easily and naturally towards your specific desired result. Search for your Super Bowl level sensation. Yeah. And I'm going to share with everyone what mine is because I was visualizing it and starting to have those feelings as, as Chucky was talking about this. My two biggest ones, and it's not building my first, second or third company, exiting from one, the one that we're working on that it's been you know going on three years in the making with Success Finder. Mm -hmm. Because that, a lot of people just they they walk away. They're like, "What do you mean three years and you 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 don't have a finalized thing?" That's that's just life. That's setting your goal at the age of seven and working to get drafted at twenty two. In my mind, but my mm -hmm. two ones, the day I got married and I saw my wife like that walk down the aisle, mm -hmm. and the day my son was born, and mm -hmm. and I, I remember those days, the smells, the feelings, and that exactly. is my Super Bowl people. That you have your Super Bowl. Now take that, move it into a different domain of your life that you don't feel that, you get that emotion. Start going towards that. Start taking that action. All right, last one. And you've given mm -hmm. so many. This next one, you've given a lot already, but I want to condense this one. Mm -hmm. What is a tip, a tactic, an actionable item that if anyone listening to this right now implemented this over the next 30, 60, 90 days mm -hmm. would see a real impact on their personal or business life? You know, I know this is going to sound obvious, but you know, the mind and the body are connected. But do you know how they're connected? It's the breath. Breathing is how our mind and our bodies are connected. So a lot of people, when I say control the dog, people say, but I can't, I have anxiety. No, you have the leash. So how do I control the dog? Breathing. 
because you recognize our breathing changes when we're feeling emotions. When I'm angry, I don't breathe. Or when I'm afraid, it gets really irregular. So if you control that, you can control the dog. Because <sighs> the dog, remember, he's a dog. He's a pretty simple thinker. He's like, hmm, I thought we were afraid, but he seems to be breathing normal. So I guess I'll be quiet. And then all of a sudden, you're in control. In those moments when you feel anxiety, when you're afraid to get on stage, or you're going into a difficult discussion. <sighs> breathe and turn your internal focus to your solar plexus. Just focus on that spot and keep a steady breath and watch how you're able to control that dog. Wow. Uh, one, one, I, I think of it as, I, and I'm going to botch the name of this diaphragmatic breathing or, you know, it's yeah, whatever yeah, you it got is. It right. You yeah. got it right. So yep. Chucky, when everyone realizes all the value that you brought today, where's the best place that they can reach out to you? If they want to work with you, if they want to learn more about you, where's the best place for them to reach out to you? LinkedIn is always the best. You know, we live in a social media world nowadays and, you know, about every hour, you know, you're looking at it. So I'm, I'm a human being. I know I might sound like I'm from another planet, but I am a human being. So as far as social media goes, LinkedIn, or you can go to website, basicinstructions.com. And those are probably the two best places. Every other Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, I'm there. But LinkedIn, basicinstructions.com. And remember, for basic instructions. So on that URL, it is plural, basicinstructions.com. We have got Super Bowl champion where this road started when he was a child. Chucky, mm -hmm. Chucky, a Kobe. Thank you so much for what you brought to the Mastermind Effect today. I appreciate you. Hey, man, I appreciate the opportunity to be here and you and I connecting. You know, this isn't our first conversation. So I'm just looking forward to more. Yeah. Big love and thanks. All right. No problem, man. Thank you for listening to The Mastermind Effect, your secret weapon for personal development. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to share with a friend and leave a five star review on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcast host so you won't miss a single episode. You're one step closer to experiencing the mastermind effect.